Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Matthew called Mysteries of the Kingdom. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Greatest Moment in History. I'm reading Matthew 13, 31 to 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. You know, sometimes something very important happens, and we aren't aware of just how momentous it is. You know, for instance, you know, when the then-American president, Abraham Lincoln, delivered the famous Gettysburg Address, many thought it was a poor speech indeed. Now, you're going to remember that famous speech was given in 1863. The Civil War was not yet over. little town of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, after the battle, now found itself surrounded by thousands of bodies of bloated and rotting human corpses. And something had to be done. So a burial had to be given, and someone had to say some words, and President Lincoln was there. But President Lincoln was not the featured speaker of that day. That honor fell to a senator, Edward Everett, and he gave a two-hour address that many who were there thought to be one of the finest speeches ever made. And the president was only invited to the ceremony at the last moment, and he asked, did you hear that? He had to ask to be able to say a few words for himself. And Lincoln followed Everett, and his speech was only two minutes long. A great many people were just adjusting themselves to listening to the American president, and he was already done. Some newspapers reported that he hardly had anything to say and that what he said was inappropriate to the occasion. One newspaper said that the president's statements were just a series of silly remarks. Now, as people look back, they're amazed at how many people hearing this speech had no idea how profound the impact of those two minutes actually were. Those two minutes contained the finest speech ever made by a U.S. president, and I would argue the finest political speech ever made on this continent. But it was really only after the speech was printed and people read it that they finally realize it for what it was. You know, sometimes some things are very important, and people who witness it have no idea as to how important it is. That same is true about the ministry of Jesus. You might wonder how that could be, given the miracles that were occurring, but, but that's not what disappointed most people about Christ. Many were coming to the conclusion that this was not the outpouring of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this man was, they might have thought, flash in the pan. He'd one day be forgotten. They had no idea that the defining moment of human history was happening right there. I mean, think about it. Capernaum has now been visited by hundreds of millions of people. Why? Because Jesus made that place his hometown. But the people who lived there and who saw Jesus... Well, they had no idea that they were standing at ground zero, the most profound moment, not in Jewish history, no, no, but in human history. And from this time on, the human calendar would be dated to this one man. These people had no idea. 
And so Jesus told a series of parables. But most people didn't understand them. And then again, they didn't understand what God was doing. You know, in many ways, it's still the same today. You know, most people have no idea how God, through his kingdom, is gradually filling the earth with his glory today. We're going to get to that. And for now, let's review what we've studied in this remarkable series of parables. We've already studied two of them, so let's review them and then study the next two. The first parable that Jesus told was the parable of the sower, or the parable of the four soils. And the point of that one is this, that the message of the kingdom, as not only Jesus preached it, but introduced it into the world in his miracles and in his authority, that this coming of the kingdom of heaven would receive a varied reception. In other words, Jesus' message would not be universally received. Some would be hostile. Others would seem to be interested, but would quickly fall away. Some would fear hard times to come, and others would be in love with the present world, and they would abandon Jesus when times got tough. But in spite of this, the kingdom would gain many followers, and they, the the followers of Jesus, would produce a harvest of righteousness. So that's the first parable. The kingdom has come. The response is varied. That's to say, at this moment in time, the kingdom will allow for those who reject it. But the rejection of the kingdom and the acceptance of the kingdom is to be expected in this present hour. Then came the second parable. This is the parable of the tares in the grain harvest. Now, we have yet to study Jesus' explanation to that parable, but but we have already learned that not only will the response to the kingdom be varied, but the kingdom is going to be vigorously opposed. Now, since all of this teaching is part of the section in Matthew that that we've entitled the, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, well, we do well to remember that Jesus is explaining to us why in this present era, the kingdom is as it is. Remember that John the Baptist had promised a baptism of the Holy Spirit and then a baptism of fire. He said there would be both the blessing of God on those who seek mercy and the fire of God's judgment on the wicked or or those who refuse to repent. But now we're seeing that there's a time distance between those two events. Those seeking mercy would be blessed, as is seen when Jesus heals or when when he drives out demons. But those who refuse the kingdom are not judged in the present hour. That time is reserved for the, for the future. In the present hour, the kingdom of heaven would have significant enemies. Indeed, the parable of the wheat and the weeds teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is so threatening that a great powerful enemy will do everything he can to disrupt the harvest. That is, the enemy will see just how fruitful the kingdom of God can be. And so the enemy is going to seek to limit the amount of fruit that the kingdom brings. Again, we have yet to hear Jesus' explanation of this parable, but we have enough information to believe that Satan will try to plant his sons inside the kingdom. They will look like the sons of the kingdom, but they will be, if you will, spies of the evil one. They seek to bring as much damage to the kingdom as they can. That may surprise some of us. If the kingdom of heaven is the rule of God and God breaking into this present age and bringing heaven to earth, and if that's so, well, how is it possible for for such things like a varied reception and enemies creating destruction? I mean, how does that happen? I remember that was John the Baptist's question. How can evil be allowed? But even without answering that question, we hear that evil is being allowed. 
until a time yet to come when evil will be judged and will be utterly destroyed. But, but that hour has not yet come. And that brings us to this third parable. This is the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds in the garden, and yet it grows to become larger than all of the other garden plants. And in this, his third parable, Jesus speaks about the size dimensions of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to just pause here and put a parenthesis in, and it's a a silly one, but, you know, some have suggested that Jesus is simply making a mistake here. Turns out that the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds. There are smaller seeds than that one. And even though this seems almost silly to mention, that fact has been used by some to point out that there you have it, an error in the Bible. But that technicality that there are smaller seeds than a mustard seed is to miss the point entirely. You know, it turns out that in Palestinian gardens, the mustard seed is the smallest one. And that's all that Jesus was saying. He's not talking about all seeds. He was talking about Palestinian gardens. Now, now putting aside that silly argument, it is true that when the mustard seed grew, that small seed would grow to be a sizable bush, some growing to the size of 12 feet. No plant in a Palestinian garden ever reached that size. From seeming insignificance to the most imposing of all plants, And that, of course, must mean that when one first sees a mustard seed, one is tempted to discount it. That's just like the ministry of Jesus. Please remember that Jesus has, up to this point in time, done the majority of his work in Galilee. His adopted hometown is Capernaum. It's a small fishing village by the seaside in Galilee. And furthermore, at the time of Jesus' ministry, Galilee was lightly populated. The center of Israel, that was in Judah, and Jerusalem was its capital. And what of the rest of the world? Well, Rome, if they had heard of Jesus at all, would have heard of him only in passing. And the other cultures of the earth, let's say China, India, in the West and in the East, all the earth's cultures simply carried on as if nothing but nothing had changed. Just a tiny mustard seed, insignificant within the wider cultures of this world, and yet, This insignificant thing would be the defining moment of all human cultures. What headlines are capturing your attention? The stock market, international unrest, politics, violence? Is the world out of control? I want to encourage you. What may appear hopeless is completely within the governing hand of God. What seems mysterious, unwieldy, God's people place confidence in the creator, sustainer, and governor of all things. And that's the point of Dr. Neufeld's new series, The Mysteries of the Kingdom, a study of Matthew 11 to 13. Dr. Neufeld wrote, listen, Christian, your savior is not just a personal savior. He is Lord of heaven and earth and no opposition raised up against him will stand. Such is the power and authority of your Lord. Don't ever forget that. Join us all month for the mysteries of the kingdom right here on Back to the Bible Canada. And please consider offering your support for this daily Bible teaching program by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. When Jesus speaks of the mustard seed growing to become the largest plant in the garden, he went on to say that the birds of the air would nest in its branches. 
Now, anyone who was familiar with the First Testament would remember Daniel chapter 4. You know, in that chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a second dream. He saw a vision of a great tree, its branches reaching to the heavens, with abundant leaves providing food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under the tree, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. Then Daniel's called to interpret the dream, and he tells King Nebuchadnezzar that he, the king, is the tree. That large tree provides shade and food for all the nations of the earth. That is, the birds and the animals under the tree are the nations who are benefited by Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. But there are other examples of that same image in the First Testament. The allusion to birds nesting in its branches, well, that's an Old Testament allusion, and it often refers to Gentiles finding safety in Israel's care. So what do we make of this? Well, when Jesus speaks of his kingdom starting so small and seemingly so insignificant in terms of the cultures of the earth, he means that in spite of this, the kingdom will become so significant that the nations will come to find shade in its branches. So up till now in his parables, Jesus has taught that his kingdom will be variously received. The results of the announcement of the kingdom of heaven will vary. Furthermore, Satan will infiltrate it and attempt to create confusion. But now he says in this third parable, that notwithstanding, this kingdom will start small, but it will grow to be massive, worldwide dimensions. It's really remarkable. Imagine that a small movement from a small corner of Palestine would become the dominant faith of the Roman Empire. Of course, the growth of the Christian church has not been like, you know, one steady uphill graph. It's rather more like a pulsating model. You know, at times, in the Middle Ages, for instance, you might have thought that it would have been extinguished. But now at the beginning of the 21st century, its, its growth is global, especially in places like Africa and Asia. It's utterly astounding. The point is that Jesus foresaw this. If he was not sending out armies nor calling the angels to strike down his foe, still, this tree would be the largest in the garden. And don't think that, that because Jesus was not striking down his foes or because he wasn't yet ending evil, that his kingdom is not significant. In terms of the earth, his kingdom is the most significant thing that has ever happened to this earth. That's what the third parable teaches us. And then comes the fourth parable. Look again at verse 33. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Now, in order to understand this parable, it may be that Jesus is either referring to yeast or, as many Bible teachers have pointed out, he's actually referring technically to leaven. Leaven was actually thought of differently than we think of yeast today. When one leavened bread, a woman would place a small piece of fermenting acidic dough into a bowl filled with a large amount of flour. The amount of flour referred to in this parable would have been large. Three measures would probably feed about 100 people. So the idea here is that the leaven is small, but the influence is pervasive. In short, the fourth parable tells us that the kingdom will have far greater influence than was expected or that its size would dictate. Now, if I understand Jesus correctly here, it seems to me that he's not speaking about those who actually become his followers, but rather those who are influenced by his followers penetrating every structure in society. I want you to think about how Christianity has led the way to that in a number of areas. The story of the abolition of slavery, the long battle to alleviate poverty, the battle to end abortion, 
the campaign to give women dignity and rights, the campaign for the humane treatment of prisoners of war. You know, I love a story that comes from India. Even though at one time Christianity, that is, in, the, in about the 500s, well, it looked poised to become a dominant religion in India, and yet savage persecution and the wholesale slaughtering of Christians utterly ended its prominence. But it's still a fact that well over a thousand years later, the small Christian faith in India ended the practice of seti, that is, the burning of a widow along with her dead husband. The influence of the kingdom of heaven brought that cruel and barbarous practice to an end. But let me pick one more example of the gospel's influence. You know, at the time of Christ, Israel probably had the highest literacy rate in the ancient world. Well, that's because the law of God was taught and read in every synagogue. In other words, the Jews were required to read. That's because they had something very important to read, God's word to them. Now, Daniel Doriani has pointed out that the Protestant Reformation had the same effect for all of Europe and then into every other country in the world where the missions program brought the gospel. That's because the principle of sola scriptura, or scriptures alone changed everything. We have but one source of authority, that's the scriptures, scripture alone. Not a priest, not a preacher, not a high power leader, but scripture. Scripture outranks every human authority, and because of that, it's important for every person to learn to read the Bible for himself or herself. And so wherever the Christian faith goes, a massive program begins to both translate the Bible into every language and to create an educational system where literacy is taught. That's essential to the faith. The consequences can't be understated. Society as a whole is drastically changed. I mean, you think about the impact of Christianity on education in the Western world. Oxford, Yale, Cambridge, Harvard, Princeton, All of these began as Christian seminaries, places to train pastors. And in consequence, it brought learning to the entire Western world. You know, in his book, How Christianity Changed the World, author Alvin Schmidt points out that the sanctity of life, a new view of sexual morality, the elevation of women, the virtue of charity and giving, the the emergence of hospitals, the influence on economics, the impact on music and the arts, along with many other things I've already mentioned, all of these have been profoundly shaped and changed by the gospel. That's called leaven. Are all people blessed by the Christian faith? No. But living under the influence of the gospel does bring a blessing to all. Now, from these two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven, come verses 34 and 35. It says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, Matthew adds this note here because he wants his reader to think about what's been said up till now. It's actually a quote from Psalm 78, where God is portrayed as a redeemer, yet Israel rebels. The telling of the entire story of the Old Testament is a kind of a parable. I mean, that's not to say that that the Old Testament narrative is a parable. You see, Jesus' parables are about everyday events, and when you think about them, they should give you a great insight into the nature of the kingdom of, of heaven. 
You know, in the contrast, the Old Testament, well, it's historical narrative. It's about real history. It's about real events. It's about God's revealing himself in history. And yet, the entire Old or the entire First Testament can function just like a parable. It gives great insight into the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus not only fulfills the Old Testament hope and longing, but that Jesus explains the true meaning of the Old Testament. In his teaching, in his ministry, he explained to us what the First Testament actually is all about. But Matthew then says, in his teaching and in his parables, Jesus was revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. This was the greatest moment of history, and he was explaining things that had been hidden since the foundation of the human race. The Old Testament is not just a Jewish story. It's a story of how the glory of God would one day cover the earth. Jesus was now setting out to do just that. It's just like when someone listened to President Lincoln and didn't understand how significant that moment was, that is, when he gave the the Gettysburg Address. So also, when Jesus spoke the parables, a great many people heard but didn't understand that they were standing at ground zero of the most significant moment in history. Everything that the Old Testament longed for was now being brought into fruition. Right now, the kingdom of heaven was being planted among them, and it would impact the earth, everyone living on the earth. Don't you realize that's what's happening today? The kingdom of God continues to grow, and everyone is being impacted by that. Here's my question. Do you understand how significant it is to hear the message of the kingdom of heaven? John, it's evident that the church has done so much over history to benefit mankind. But, you know, today it would seem like the church is increasingly marginalized. Does it have a role anymore? Yeah, I know that a lot of people feel like we're being marginalized. And so we're just this very small voice. And who cares anyway? We're, you know, just one little, you know, insignificant part of the world's wider religions, et cetera, et cetera. We've all heard the arguments. Um, But I think I would argue that this is an attempt of the enemy of our souls to try to redefine us. We need to let Jesus define us. Uh, This is the most significant thing that's happened in the world, that is, the outgrowth of his kingdom. Uh, Just understand that and recognize that it may appear that you're marginalized, but you're never marginalized. God's kingdom is front and center to everything that's happening. Thanks so much, John. It's, it's important to know that Christ defines who we are. Thanks, and remember to join us here again tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Visiting the Promised Land never loses its appeal. That's why I feel it's so important to offer Back to the Bible Canada Israel Experience April 27th to May 6, 2019. If you're able, taking the time to discover Jerusalem, the Garden Tomb, Sea of Galilee, King David's City, the list goes on and on, well, that will transform your understanding of the Bible and offer a spiritual impact like perhaps nothing else can on this earth. So consider joining me in Israel, and I'll do my best to bring every location to life and allow the Spirit of God to minister to your heart and mind. 
It all offers great fellowship and refreshment that sets the stage for new lifelong friendships. So consider joining us and for more information, please call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.